Everyone else, take your Bible, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, we are continuing in our series, Identity Matters. Matters pertaining to identity that Peter talked about. There are many that he's already addressed. And we're seeing just how much identity matters when it comes down to living life on planet Earth and being a Christian. If you do not know who you are, or if you believe you are someone that you are not, you will live according to that identity. So if we put all of our energy and our effort in trying to do the things that Scripture says, but our mind or who we believe we are is totally put on someone or something else, then it'll be nothing but moralistic efforts to try to obey commands, and we will find no strength in that. First Peter Peter is writing to Christian churches who have been scattered throughout uh, many of the places of Turkey, and there is great persecution that has fallen upon them, and greater that is coming in the next one or two years during this time. So a very relevant book to the people who are suffering, suffering under tyranny and many harsh things. First Peter chapter 2, let's look at verses 11 and 12 again to remind ourselves the section we're in, where it's coming from, where the waterfall is coming from. All that we're hearing in the, in today and in the next few weeks are flowing from verses 11 and 12, which we heard two weeks ago. Verse 11 and 12, Peter says this. Let me get to it. You can see it on the screen as well. Beloved, I urge you as identity sojourners, and exiles, pilgrims, aliens, passer-throughs, earth is not your home. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation." We saw last week that we're all under God's authority as we talked about what it means to be subject as citizens, holy citizens, under whatever authority God has placed us in. And he said whether it be to emperor as supreme or governor sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise to those who do good. And then we're going to continue this. Look, subject everyone. Servants be subject. We're going to look at that today. Wives be subject. Husbands live with your wives as you're being subject to God's authority. Finally, all of you, and then he'll insert what he's asking of you, flowing out from under uh, the authority of God, and he's going to finish in chapter five by talking directly to the elders and what's expected of them under the authority of God. But God is our authority. Let's talk about this word or this combination of words, be subject for a second. You know, last week, I started with um, holy citizens, and it was an easy topic to talk about us being citizens, to talk about government and not rebelling, extremely easy, none of us have problems with today. And then today's going to be an even easier topic as we get into slavery, so it's going to be great for me to stand up here and talk about things that are extremely difficult is really what I'm trying to say. These topics are not easy. To, to hear be subject, willingly submit yourself under the rule of evil people is not easy. But, but let's consider a few things. I didn't have time to give some um, clarity last week. I wanted last week to sit a little bit throughout the week. But today I've got a little bit more time. Be subject is being told 2,000 years ago to pe- the people in Peter's day under a governmental system that we do not live under. 
So the command to be subject stands. It does not matter the difference of culture. The command stays. The command never changes. It is God's inspired word and desire for his people regardless of what time, what country, what state, wherever you are, be subject to your governing authorities applies. But what does change is culture and the types of government. You see, they lived under an autocracy where they had no rights, where emperor was supreme. So when he told us last week, be subject to the emperor as supreme, treat him as he deserves to be treated based off the way the government situation is set up. Here today, we are trying to apply, be subject under a constitutional republic where the people have a lot more control. This is a good thing. Greatest country ever created that I believe is constantly under attack. So what does it mean to be subject during this time? Be subject does not mean be passive. Be subject does not mean agree. Be subject does not mean affirm. Be subject means in the areas where you are placed under authority, you honor the authority as the authority, and you subject yourself to what you are being told and asked to do. And when you are told or being asked to do something that is sinful or goes against your ultimate authority of God, you do not obey. But in every other area area outside of that, you subject yourselves. We cannot just easily apply this and say, well, I have no rights, I have no opportunities, I just I gotta do whatever they tell me to do. Well, we have a little bit more responsibility living on the governmental system we live in today. We actually can make change, we can vote, we can talk, we can make our voice be known and it not actually go against the laws and still be under, be subject. Which brings us to today what we're going to talk about that is even more different than, than what we live in today. We're going to hear him talk directly to a certain group of people that do not exist today. And so we have to find a way to apply it to, to the closest area of our life that we can. First Peter chapter 2 verses 18 through 25. Let's read it. 18, servants or slaves, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The topic today, holy slaves or servants. Verse 18 there, he uses the word servant, or the ESV uses the word servant, but the actual term here is talking about slavery, right? We can understand that in our culture, in our climate we live in, for, for us to even be up here and talk about this in, as if it's normative, or the Bible talk about it in the way that it was normative, because most people were slaves back in this day. It's it, it, something inside of us, it struggles. Like there's the, the quintessential thing that you rebel against in our culture today is slavery, 
here it was so commonplace and people have problems with it today as they hear the Bible talk about slavery and seemingly, seemingly not rebelling against it. Right. Because God did not call us as anarchists to tear down every system that we're under but to be different and to spread the gospel because the only thing that will actually change people is Jesus inside of them which inadvertently and ironically does what? The change that you actually cannot accomplish when you take matters into your own hand. The gospel in people spreading to other people does more to make change in an evil world than our own efforts, human efforts. And so God puts his energy and his servants' energy into making the difference wherever they are. Go read 1 Corinthians 7. You'll see this high calling of God to whatever you are called to remain. Don't seek to be immediately free from your situation. God has something in that particular area where you are, whatever the circumstance, married, wherever your job is, whatever it may be, don't quickly seek to be out of the situation but be different there and make a change and let people see the difference in you because it will save others which brings us to the the pinnacle motivation of everything that we're talking about is one the glory of God and two the salvation of others how do you accomplish those two things in your life assuming those two things are the pinnacle uh, efforts and desires of your heart glorify God and to see others come to Jesus well it's going to involve the example of Jesus that we adhere to living like Jesus here on planet earth. Holy slaves, holy servants, how in the world can they subject themselves to their masters? But look what he says, 18, servants, be subject, subject yourselves, willingly submit to your masters. How? With all respect. I I, I like the word all there because that really helps us uh, leave any uh, exception out of it. And then you might be tempted to say, okay, I will be subject and respect, with all respect, the good master. The bad masters know, but Peter goes on to say, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Here's what we can't relate. We can't relate to what it's like to live in a society to where people own other people. An evil institute, an evil it is, to treat other people as if they are not made in the image of God. You can go back and read some of the, the quotes of the pagans of that time and how they looked at people who were indentured servants or slaves. And there were many different reasons people became slaves. There's different levels of it. All of it, they were treated horribly for the most part. One of the uh, quotes you can find is that the only difference between a donkey and a slave is that the slave can talk. Others, you can find that slaves were just tools that were meant to be used. So you have the Bible now, Peter himself speaking, here's what's interesting, potentially to, church, to the churches where there would be many slaves in them, maybe even some of the pastors of those churches were slaves. That'd be an interesting uh, twist of events, right? You, you go amongst your brothers and sisters and you find with, within your brothers and sisters a place where you actually uh, are put at this position of leadership and then you go back into your regular life for ba- most of the time under being subject to a master where you have no rights and you are property. Very interesting. Be a horrible situation. None of us would want to be in that situation. Think about this. Think about all these different scenarios. Citizen under tyranny. Slavery, a person under a slave, a master, good or harsh, but in position of slavery. Next week we're going to talk about wives. 
under harsh husbands, husbands living with wives that may not be easy to live with, and then finally all of us. What would be the world's solution to these scenarios? Ask anyone in the world, what would be your solution to living under tyranny? What would be your solution to living under sla- in, in slavery? What would be your solution uh, uh, and suggestion to a wife living with a harsh husband? I think we have no problem figuring out what the solutions would be, what the advice would be, what the effort would be, what would be the gut instinct of what's right in those moments. And then God comes along and his ways are higher and his thoughts are higher and he brings holiness in the world and he shows us what holiness looks like and he saves us and he says, you're gonna be living completely different than the way your gut in the world tells you to live. It is going to be radical. And the only way you're gonna be able to do it is because my spirit's in you, not by might, not by power, but my spirit. Wow. Subjects, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good, but also to the unjust. I'll tell you this right now, when I read this, I need some type of supernatural help if that's gonna be the case in my life. So how do we take this, what we're gonna read today, and apply it to our life? Is it just something that we were just learning about in the past, or does this still have application for the day? Absolutely. There'll be times in your life where you are a servant to someone. Now, you may be getting paid for it. Every job that you have, you should be applying this to your life. So now, insert employee, boss, this certainly applies. So now it's coming close to our world. The different places where we work, the type of employee that we are matters. A holy employee, a holy servant holy slave. This is as close as we can get to it today, but it most certainly still is relevant and applies. So this seems impossible, does it not? Can we admit it's with, with man, it is impossible. With God, all things are possible. God likes doing this. He likes putting us in positions where we can see and, and absolutely determine that in our own efforts, I can't do this. I can't make this C part. Oh, this is the end of the line. No, God's like, I like to bring you there so I can show you what I can do through you. So here we are. This seems impossible. Here's what we're gonna look at today. Holy slaves or servants subject themselves to their masters with all respect because of several reasons. And the first one is this. Holy slaves are able to do this because they are mindful of God. Look what he says here. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. Verse 19, for this is a gracious thing, comma, when, comma, mindful of God makes you think of what we learned last week for the citizens who were being told to be subject to every human institution for the Lord's sake. So last week we were thinking about and considering our Lord Jesus and for his sake being subject to the human institutions here as employees, as servants, wherever we find ourselves, we can be these types of servants that are subject with all respect to the good and to the bad bosses and masters in our life because we are first constantly mindful of God. God, the sovereign, the master, the authority. We are constantly remembering him. He is the one who is at the forefront of our mind and we never lose sight of that. So when we're in that situation where we're being treated unjustly, when our boss is being selfish and just using us, abusing us, taking advantage of us, and everything inside of us, in the gut, and in the human power, 
through the way of the, the evil one that has, has so long uh, taught us how to live in life starts to easily well up and, and show its ugly head in our heart. And we have all types of manner of things that we would like to do or say that gets squashed because we are mindful of our ultimate authority who's watching us in every single circumstance and we are first obedient and submissive to him and we remember that our sovereign, our master has told us to be subject to this person in our life that is mistreating us. We are able to be subject because we are mindful of our God. We remember him. He's at the forefront of our head. Secondly, this, we're able to subject ourselves to our masters with all respect because we want heavenly credit. Holy slaves were able to live this way, in this radical way, because they desired what they wanted, what they were passionate about, was having credit that came down from heaven. Look what he says next. He says first in verse 19, he says, for this is a gracious thing. So right off the bat, Peter's helping these slaves helping servants understand that when you're in a situation, when you are being mistreated, where you have no rights, someone is using you, abusing you, whatever it may be, and you still show someone respect regardless of how they're treating you, Peter's saying this is a gracious thing. When you hear that word gracious, you'd be thinking about God's grace where he is giving you what you do not deserve. It's what God does. You are doing what God does. You are doing the gracious thing right off the bat, when mindful of God, he recognizes you can't do that unless God is there in your mind being remembered. And then he explains it. When one endures sorrow by suffering justly. And then Peter says something interesting in verse 20. He says this, for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? Again, something that we can't relate to, that is is actually hard for us to even listen to as they're literally talking about slaves who would be beaten, physically beaten by unjust masters. Peter speaking directly into that, no problem. Helping them understand, here's, here's what matters, is how you respond to those moments. What credit, though, is it for you when you deserve the beating, essentially? Or let's bring it today. What credit is it when you endure for getting reprimanded by your boss when you deserve it, when you show up late. Okay, I'll take, I'll take the beating. But you deserve it. There's no credit to that. That's the question. But if when you do good, which is the key, this is what he's trying to get out of us, is a good conduct, a holy conduct, doing good in the eyes of Gentiles, being honorable. But when you do good and suffer for it, you endure This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Holy slaves, servants, employees are able to live this type of subject respect to horrible people who do not deserve it because they want something other than worldly credit. They want heavenly credit. They want God to look down and see what they're doing and be pleased by it. I can't help but to think that Peter is thinking about the words of his Lord from like 30 years before this, when he walked with Jesus on earth and he heard Jesus talk. Luke chapter six, you'll see some verses on the screen. Let me, let me, let me read this to you. Could it, be, could it be that Peter is thinking about what Jesus said in Luke chapter six? Let me get there. Jesus teaches his disciples something extremely radical. 
He says this. But I say to you, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. As you wish that others do unto you, do also to them. Oh, Peter's not thinking of that. Come on, we'll keep reading. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind and ungrateful to the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Now, let me remind you what Peter said. He said this, for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Can you see where Peter's understanding of what his Savior taught him about the kingdom of God? With the Savior saying, this is what my kingdom is like. This is what I require. This is how I live. My servants, those who are disciples who say they follow me, they take up their cross daily and they follow me. This is what their life looks like. It looks like mine. And Jesus is teaching them what holiness looks like. If you are to follow me, you've been made alive once you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but you've been quickened by the Spirit. The Spirit lives in you. And now your whole motivation is different and your life is going to be different. You do not do what other people do in the same situation. You love your enemies. You don't curse. You do good to those who don't do good to you. You pray for them. You do not retaliate. And then he shows the difference. He compares sinners or those who are not saved, pagans, to those who would follow after Jesus. Do not sinners even do the same? There's no applaud in heaven when you love those who love you. There's no applaud in heaven when you give to those who can give something back to you. There's no applaud in heaven when you do what's normal. Even sinners do, which would imply that Jesus is trying to create a culture among his people that is unable to be found in the world. Holiness, different, otherworldly, outside, nowhere even near to the plane of where everybody live because they need to be able to see someone who has something different in them because they need to be saved as well because they're lost in darkness just like you were and God came to you this way and he was gracious to you, to the evil And he showed grace and mercy and he did not treat you according to your sins and he loved you and he ate with you and he dined with you and he did not bring up everything in the past and talk about how horrible you are. He did not call down thousands of angels to strike the warriors or the the military people who were dividing and gambling over his cloth but he looked down and he saw everyone spitting on him, mocking him and he said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. So when it comes to your identity as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession, a holy nation, holy citizens, you're left here on earth, your heavenly father, mindful of him, is watching. 
how you interact at work, how you treat your authorities in the place of service. And he says, hey, what credit, what credit is it when you endure the suffering you deserve? But I see, I see every unjust moment. I saw every slave that was thought to be property, that never even had a name, that no one knew about, how he was treated or she was treated unjustly, who loved me and found me, and I remembered every single one of those moments where they chose to love and not curse, to live like me instead of living like the way the world would have told them to live and to take matters into their own hand. And you better believe they are rewarded and I see it and I remember it and it is a beautiful, gracious thing in my sight and there is much credit, reward for that. Same thing for you at work. How's your boss treating you or your manager? Those over you. How are you enduring that? Because the idea is we're supposed to be the type of people that our authorities, even the unjust ones, see are the most valuable. They know it. They go away and think about how they've treated others. They go away and they, they, they can compare their employees to other employees. You're the type of employee that your boss loves to see come or the one that he, lo- he loves to see leaving. Our good deeds are supposed to be seen in those moments. Radical because it brings God glory and it brings others to salvation, which is our goal. It's the great commission. Which brings us to our next point. Holy slaves or servants are able to live this way, not only because they're mindful of God, not only because what they desire is heavenly credit, not earthly credit, but also because they heed their calling. They know their calling and they heed it. They pay attention to it. They, they, they yield to their calling. They do their calling. That what they have been called by God to do is what they wake up and go to bed wanting to fulfill. Look what he says here in verse 20. He says this, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Verse 21, for to this you have been called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Beautiful what Peter's doing. It's like It's like Peter can hear what's going through, which is really the Holy Spirit speaking through Peter. He can hear what's already going through their mind and everything that he's saying, and then he immediately brings up the very next thing that they need to hear to stop the the worldly process of taking over in their mind. Yeah, really, God, you're gonna ask me? God, God would not ask me to do that. God would not ask me to suffer this way. Well, his son, he asked to suffer that way for you. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus swatting, sweating, drops like blood. Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. And not just a moment after that prayer, he's being handed over by Judas into his accuser's hands to be stripped, wrongfully accused, and beaten and suffer for hours upon hours for us. And Peter here is reminding that to be a Christian is to take up your cross daily and to follow him If you have a Christianity that doesn't have suffering at the center of it, you do not have Christianity. 
if your Christianity and your church going is I don't want to hear about suffering, I just want to hear about encouragement, then your Christianity is partial. It's lacking. It's missing. Being a Christian is not health, wealth, and prosperity. Being a Christian is service, last place, not trying to save our life, but lose it for him and being willing to go through anything for the sake of others. Because that was Jesus' example. He says here, this is what you have been called to. And he leaves no He leaves no subtlety to it. For this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, implying you also be willing to suffer for others, leaving you an example. You look to him, you learn from him so that you might follow in his steps. This is what he would want you to do. And then he describes what he was willing to go to, what he went through and how he responded to it. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. But when he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. You go and read about Jesus' suffering for us, how he was taken to counsel after counsel after counsel and wrongfully accused of being a blasphemer and a sinner and a criminal. And every single worldly authority in their court system said, this, this, this guy's, there's nothing wrong with this guy's innocent. Who is the one who is the word? His own people using his words against him to try to condemn him because they hated him came to his own and his own people did not receive him. And yet, you know what he didn't do, which we would do in that moment? We would fight, clamor, scream, do everything we do to convince the people we are innocent. And he stayed silent. He was no sinner or or, or deceiver. And when he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. He didn't curse and scream in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten don't tread on me right we a holy citizen first do not tread on me is what we would say but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly you see this we have through our calling a very specific example if you see on this next screen here you see that we are to follow Christ's example. He suffered for others. His conduct was holy. His mouth was holy. No retaliation. And he was doing this because he trusted his life to God. But look at the motivation there about trusting God. It says he continued entrusting himself to who? To him. To his father. Who does what? Who judges justly. Right? So in the context of being treated unfairly, in the context of unjust suffering, you have a God who is sovereign, who, is, who knows every single thought, every single word, every single backhanded, dealing, back alleyed uh, uh, interaction that has ever happened, ever. He knows it all, hasn't forgotten any of it, and he is coming with his angels to bring his recompense with him to deal with evil once and for all on a day of vengeance that belongs to him, not to us. And he will pour out his wrath upon all evil, unbelieving world, along with the demonic angels who were behind all of this influence. He sees it all. He remembers it all. And so Peter is telling these slaves, he's telling these servants, and and by extension, thousands of years later to us who are also in situations where we would be mistreated by the authorities above us, in our work environment to keep entrusting yourself, your soul to who? To not just anyone, but
but to the sovereign God of the universe who sees everything and who judges justly, which means he sees how you're going to respond and he sees how they're going to respond. So that also harkens back to chapter one when we were told to conduct ourselves with fear during the time of our exile. With fear, because he who judges impartially is coming. Which leads us to our final reason that holy slaves can be subject with all respect to horrible masters is because they entrust their souls to their shepherd. They know that it's not up to them. They know that they don't have to have everything figured out and everything doesn't have to go the way that they want it to go because they know who is sovereignly in control of their life. Jesus himself entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins and his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. In verse 25, for you, then he brings it home, you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. If you keep reading Peter at the end of chapter four, it's gonna culminate in this idea of trust yourself to your savior. Here's what we're leading. I'm gonna spoil it for you. Therefore, let those, verse 19 of chapter four, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. You have a God who's in control of your life, who sees every single moment and who's with you. He's also referred to not just as God, not just as a creator, not just as Lord, not just as overseer here, but as shepherd, shepherd. And we are what? Like sheep. Beautifully reminds you, listen, you too were once like the people you're trying to reach in your life. That boss, that manager, those people of the past, all the evil people who've ever existed, we are one of those. And we're once straying like sheep, totally lost without a shepherd trying to live life our way and every single path we chose was one that led to destruction that would not bring us out of our condemnation and take us out from under the wrath of God. All of us facing and headed toward a day of death that we do not know was going to happen when we would stand before God in judgment and give an account for our life and we would give an account to God without Jesus' sacrifice and atonement and propitiation of our sins on our behalf and we would stand before him guilty and be cast away from his presence forever to a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth we were those people but he demonstrated his love for us in that while we were sinners Christ died for us and he sought us and as the shepherd for some of us sheep he had to come and break our legs throw us over his shoulders and bring us back to the fold or into the fold for the first time ever And this is what Peter's reminding them of. You were straying like sheep, but look who has saved you. But only that, who's your shepherd, who's with you, who's constantly watching over you, who leads you beside still waters, who walks with you, who's with you in the valley and in the mountaintop, who's with you wherever. He's your shepherd. He's fighting the wolves off for you. He's tending to you. He's feeding you. He loves you. And he's the overseer of your soul. He's guarding what matters most, what will not die, which is you, who you are. You are your soul. Your body is what your soul is currently living in. And that body you live in currently is already going to die. And it is already going to suffer if you live on planet earth. Here's kind of the twist. Here's the pinnacle thought. Here's what he's helping us. Listen, if you're gonna suffer, which you will suffer, 
And if you're going to die, which you will die, would you not want it to have a great purpose and a clean conscience to it? Culminating in his thought, let none of us suffer as evildoers or like murderers and people like that. They deserve the suffering. If we're going to suffer, let's suffer for doing the right thing and have a heavenly credit applied to our account. Keeping our eyes mindful of God as he's looking down, seeing everything that we're going through and trust him. What a radical way of living, especially to be a slave, to live like this. It's cool to live 2,000 years later when you can look through history and see that slavery existed for all of our history, even up to the 90s. Not very, not very long ago was slavery not a big part of the world where people owned other people. But what can you trace and look at that abolished slavery, slavery in our world? You know what it was? Along with orphanages and hospitals, it was the influence and the spread of Christianity that led to these types of things being altered and changed. God just knows exactly what he's doing. He knows that change will not come about through anarchy, but change will come about through the gospel, reaching people's heart and individuals being changed and living and being predestined to be conformed to the image of his son here on earth so others will then see it and it'll spread. And the world will be changed by the gospel, not by our own human worldly efforts. So, where are you at today? What are you suffering under? Who are you suffering under? Entrust your soul to your creator who sees everything, who judges justly. Trust him and know that he's going to use. He will not waste an ounce of the suffering you go, to, go through, especially the type of suffering when you're doing the right thing and you get nothing but the short end of the stick. He sees every bit of it. And, and here's, here's even what's even more powerful that you can go to bed excited about even though in pain, is that when you're suffering unjustly, when you're doing the right thing, it is 100% being seen by others and it will begin to lead people to Jesus. It will work and it's the type of fruit that will change the world. Trust your savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are, you are our master we look to you. We ask that you would help us in every area of life that you've put us admitting. It's not easy. Actually, God, it's excruciating sometimes. Maybe some of us here need to be reminded of your mercy and your grace that is on us. And we can pick up every single morning with your mercies and continue on the right path. I pray that you would use us to glorify you and pray that you would use us in our life, whatever you determined, as scary as that is to pray, that you would use it to bring others to the Lord. It may even mean some of our family members, our friends, acquaintances, fellow employees, our boss, whoever it may be, God, you would use us to see others, to, to see others led to Jesus. In his name, amen.